Haley. And I'm Adam. And welcome back to the Fly on the Wall podcast. Today, we're excited to have on Jess Morales Arquetto, a leading democratic and digital technology strategist with experience working on the Obama and Clinton campaigns. She's the political director of the National Domestic Workers Alliance and executive director of Care in Action. Arquetto is also president and co-founder of COVID, a new kind of digital firm specializing in building power for causes at the intersections of social justice and electoral politics. We're super excited to have Jess this week, but first, make sure you follow us on social media. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at Fly on the Wall Pod. Or if you have comments or questions, anything you want to see in the future, bored during quarantine, please send us an email, flyonthewallpodcast at gmail.com. Now here's the interview. Jess, thank you so much for joining us in the pod today. Uh, what inspired you to get involved in work in politics? Oh yeah, that's such a good question. Um, I always tell people I was a like very weird little child. Um, so it's like not a super inspiring story because I think I came out of the womb like the way that I am. My parents are, my family is really religious. They're extremely conservative and religious. And so, um, we went to church uh, multiple times a week growing up. I went to only religious schools growing up. All my friends were from church. And because of that, the amount of um, popular culture I was allowed to consume was like extremely limited. And for very religious people, um, if you, I was really into reading. I was really, um, I was just like a really curious little kid. And so what I was allowed to explore was like extremely specific and a lot of like kids books that are not like about that are considered appropriate for religious people are basically about community organizing. Like it's a lot of books that are about like changing the world or like overcoming racism or like (laughs) inspiring people, many of whom are like religious themselves so it meant that like growing up, I, I truly, I'm truly, I mean, this is going to sound so, you're going to laugh, but like, I truly thought that the world's highest calling was like becoming a community organizer because everything I read was like, you got to change the world. And <laughs> the way that you do that is like by organizing. Um, so I really did. That was like what I wanted to do. Like the best thing that you could do in the world is like, change the world. So that's like what I wanted to do. Plus, um, Catholic schools, as you all maybe know, are hotbeds of really liberal people, actually. Like, there's a whole strain of theology that I learned of Catholic social justice teaching, which I know is a huge, I'm sure a huge part of you all. And so I just like learned a lot about like the radical side of Catholic religion. And that meant that I like you know, was really radicalized around poverty, around um, equality and inequality. And so by the time I got to like junior high, high school, I was like, all I want to do is change the world, do community organizing. I love politics because that's like part of how you do that. Um, So I was like so little, just like waiting for the time when I could like work on a political campaign or be a part of a social movement. you know, it, it's, it's like very strange and bizarre. Um, and it meant that like, I was really into watching like presidential debates, at, like eight years old. Like I was, I'm super fun at parties, you know, still to this day. Um, <laughs> so that's the kind of how I, 
it really is like how I got my start and and I just kind of kept on that path like it was just clear to me from a really when I was like so small and wee. Yeah and I guess I'm curious um, because you worked on a couple of presidential campaigns um, what was it like going from Obama and then to Clinton in 2015 and 16 can you just tell us about that a little bit? That's a really, it's a good question. I mean, uh, you know, it's working in a presidential campaign. I highly recommend it actually, like literally for anybody. Um, like, especially, you know, my guess is there's a lot of Georgetown students that are your audience. And like, I think for like a high performing person, there's probably almost no better environment. And I want to like make the case, especially like don't go into business, don't know a consulting firm, don't do a startup, like go on a campaign, especially go on a presidential campaign. And the reason I say that is it's many of the things that you like might get out of those experiences, but like a hundred times more meaningful. Um, and also just like impactful. There's nothing more impactful than real, like than electing the leader of the free world, nothing. And so for that reason, it's kind of amazing because what happens is you are able to just really focus. It's a time delimited thing. Like, you know, exactly how long it is. And the top for the moment you get your job, to the end, like the clock is running out on you just like immediately. And it attracts really amazing, talented people who, for whatever reason, want to do this thing. And everyone, I mean, maybe not everyone, but most of the people believe in that person over anyone else, right? You go in a presidential campaign is like not for the faint of heart. And so you have to give up a lot. You have to sacrifice a lot. And that means that you have amazing, talented people who really believe in what they're doing, making tons of sacrifices, working really, really hard on this super high stakes, time delimited thing, which means that like, it's a hotbed of like innovation and um, excellence and excitement. And that's amazing. Doing that so early in my career was super, super helpful because it helped me see things you know, and learn how to do things in a way that I still carry on, even when I'm not working on, on campaigns, um, about like making decisions and like being focused on your goals and like wanting to really have excellent people around you. So that's what I learned on Obama. Um, and working for President Obama is so amazing because he's a once in a generation candidate. And then I got to work for Hillary Clinton, who is also a once in a generation candidate. And so those, like, I'm so spoiled. <laughs> like, I think um, Democratic operatives who are, like, maybe five to ten years younger or older than me are, like, I went through the wilderness. It's not always Obama and Hillary, Jess. You know, I'm like, well, maybe you should learn to pick them better. Like, I just know how to pick them. Um, Hillary Clinton has been my hero since I was eight years old. I told my mom I was going to be the first woman president, and if I wasn't the first woman president, it was going to be Hillary Clinton, and I was going to be the second woman president and work for Hillary Clinton. So truly all I've wanted to do my whole career is work for Hillary Clinton. I told people for two years, I told literally anyone who would listen, I wanted to work in the Clinton campaign. I took a job um, three years before the Clinton campaign started, and I literally told my boss in my interview, this is so amazing. I love this job. And I just want you to know the minute Hillary Clinton announces that she's running for president, I'm going to leave this job. So I just like want you to understand like what's like, I'm, I was all I wanted. So working there was like the dream of my life. Um, and also the dream I had been working for for many years. Like that was what I had been trying to do is like get to a place where I could get that job that I had as digital organizing director on Hillary Clinton's campaign. 
you know, there are different people. So their campaigns are different because campaigns are very much a reflection of the candidate, which I also felt really lucky to be able to learn from these two people who are incredible at what they do and really inspiring figures and how they build themselves and their organization and the way that they, their vision they had for the country. Um, and that was, I was really instructive too, just thinking about, you know, how you, you build something completely from scratch and then being able to apply that in the own, my own work that I did. So, you know, I, I still think I have probably one or two more presidential campaigns inside of me. And, um, I, you know, I'm hoping I can keep my track record going and only working for like the real best of the best. Wow, that's an incredible way to get into politics, really. And can you tell us a little bit more about what it's like meshing your passion for organizing with working for a unique candidate and what goes through your mind when you try to tailor your strategy to that person? That's a really, really good question. You know, I think for me at the core of organizing, the way that I think about it, um, I've been trained by a bunch of, in a bunch of different organizing models. And that's like something I wish more people knew, like it is a craft in the way that there are a lot of other things that are like a craft. So there's like different strains of it and different, you know, people to learn from and that you kind of like are within the lineage of, and it, and it is very much a lineage because it's something that you pass down by doing and, and knowing um, and people like telling you about it and then you practicing that. So, you know, the way all of that has led to sort of my own little organizing sauce. And I really think about two things. One is um, really creating real relationships. That's at the core of organizing. You're trying to create a one-on-one -on -one relationship between people. And that relationship in an ideal world is a transformative relationship, not a transactional relationship. In electoral politics, often the relationship is transactional. Come and be my volunteer, donate for me, right? And I think what was so amazing about the Obama campaign is that they were able to make a transformative electoral organizing. The relationship with the candidate and then with the organizer as an extension of the candidate created a, a transformation in our country um, and like in the way that people interacted with the campaign. That was so exciting. And I feel really lucky to be a, be able to be a part of that because that doesn't always happen. You know, I think on Hillary, the relationship was also transformative, but it was in a different way. Sometimes we were, I mean, one part of it that was transformative is that the, like half of the population had literally never had this option available to themselves. And so that in and of itself was a, was a transformative kind of, um, there was already a transformation that was happening when people were deciding to come to the campaign and like be a part of it. And then we were trying to continue that transformation in the way that, you know, we were a campaign that was predominantly women for the first, you know, Democratic presidential female candidate, um, or at least uh, uh, first one to win the nomination. Don't exclude Trilly Chisholm, I would never. Um, so that means that our relationship with her is different. You know, the relationship we're able for to, to create with supporters was different, and thus the relationship organizers were able to create was different. And one thing that was so fascinating about Obama versus Hillary is that President Obama does awesome in a crowd. He could be speaking to 50,000 people and he makes it feel like he is talking directly to Haley, he is talking directly to Adam, like, you know, that, and like, and it's true, like, that's the way people feel, like, they're like, he was looking at me, and they believe it, right? Like, they believe it deep inside their bones. Um, Secretary Clinton is not like that. She is very much a one-on-one -on -one person. And so... In Obama, we were always talking about how to make the most amount of people. It was always mass. And our strategies were always mass. Because, again, 
campaigns are a reflection of the candidate. It's so important to, it's like, you, you can, there can never repeat that enough. So in Hillary, we were trying to create one-on-one -on -one experiences because that's where she shone the most. And those one-on-one -on -one experiences, just a way that people experience the campaign overall then is very different because we're not actually trying to, you know, I hate when people always talk about Bernie's big crowds. It's like, well, we're not trying to get big crowds. We're trying to make deep, meaningful one-on-one -on -one connections, you know? And so, and not that they weren't trying to do that too, but like, that's just, it wasn't as much part of our strategy. And I think that that's really important because when you have a candidate and a strategy that don't really match up together, it's really, really clear. When a strategy is not a reflection of the way that people are going to experience the candidate, it just, it's not going to work. Um, but that is hard because there's so many things that compete on campaigns and narrative and kind of like winning the narrative is also something you're always trying to do. And so, you know, sometimes organizing comms in that way, like definitely feel some tension and I definitely would be like I don't care about that I'm trying to get voters you know like <laughs> and that totally does like that tension totally does happen and when it's working really great all of those things are kind of reinforcing each other but ultimately sometimes you do have to kind of like fight for your place of I think particularly in like the internet age and in like the content era you know a thing I say to people all the time is like um you're like as a as a operative and organizer i'm competing against cat videos so like i already lost the cat videos are more interesting like a million times more interesting and so when you try to compete with the cat videos which is like what's happening a lot on campaigns right now i think you i and i think like that's even more reinforced in 2020 when everybody was like basically like i want to be the best cat video you know and the answer is like that helps you win for like a day or like a cycle which might not even be a whole day and that might help people kind of see you more um, and kind of get your name out there, which is important. But ultimately, that's like not what wins. I don't think. I still think um, people's relationship with you is like really important. Yeah, that's that makes a lot of sense. I'm curious as well because um, you worked on those presidential campaigns, but then afterwards, I feel like you worked at the intersection of social justice and um, progressive politics and on so many issues, and that includes. Um, family separation, the immigration ban at the at airports, and now you're the political director for the National Domestic Workers Alliance. And I'm just wondering, what's the difference between um, working on a campaign for a candidate and working for an issue? And is there a difference? Maybe there's not. Yeah, I mean, probably like half of it is the same, right? Like you, you're like sort of, you need a goal, you need a target. Um, you have a time frame for like a legislative session or whatever, but then the other half that's different is really different. Um, so working on an issue, you know, and you could be working on something for like 20 years. I'm the co-founder and co-chair of um, Families Belong Together, which is the campaign to end family separation and detention. Um, and like Family separation has been happening for a really, really long time and continues to happen. People have been in, de in detention in private and public immigration facilities for a very long time and still are right at this moment. So, you know, I'm, you're talking about decades of work behind me and that allowed me to be successful with families belong together and then probably also decades more. And I think that there's a, a piece of advocacy that is almost about it's almost like you're trying to gather the circumstances so that when your moment comes, you're able to like seize your moment. And you ought to also be able to see the moment, right? On a campaign, 
you're trying to create those moments. And in some ways they're already built into a structure because all of the news media is paying attention to you. And, you know, everyone knows what the president of the United States is, whereas not that many people may know about private immigration detention facilities, right? And so you're trying to like introduce a completely new concept to people and popularize that concept. And, you know, so whether I'm doing immigration on domestic worker, or sorry, whether I'm doing immigration work or domestic worker policy advocacy, or like, you know, one of the things we're doing in the work at, at the at the alliance is like introducing a completely new idea for a social insurance fund for care called universal family care so that has like a, is like just a gamut we also work on sexual harassment human trafficking just like a gamut of issues and so in some ways i think it's helpful because i'm not an expert in all those issues by any means and i always tell people i know enough to be dangerous and i think that that's like how much the average american person who's super you know or a person who's in america who's like engaged knows too. So if I don't understand it, I'm like, for sure, the people we're trying to persuade around this do also do not understand it. If I do not understand this, um, you know, and if, and if, if what we're trying to do, like, just doesn't make sense to me, it's not going to make sense to everybody else, you know? So oftentimes I'm using what I learned in campaigns about simplifying things, frankly, I think in advocacy, people are always trying to like make it more complicated because it is complicated. You're trying to like change structures that have like existed for you know, decades in some cases, since the beginning of our country's history in some cases. Um, and it also means you have to, what I say I love about campaigns is that it's time delimited. So you know, like exactly when it ends. In this case, it might never end. So what I tell people in organizing is, you know, you're, you're losing and losing and losing and losing and losing right up until you win. That is like actually the trajectory. So you're going to lose a lot. <laughs> like you're going to lose all 75% of the way through. And the last 25% is when all the good stuff is going to happen. So if you do not have capacity for bad stuff and for it not going your way and, and applying a limitless well of creativity to something, then you're going, it's going to be tough for you. It's going to be really, really tough for you. But then when you win is extremely meaningful, like just so incredibly meaningful this week, uh, sorry, this year in Virginia in 2019, we did a big, um, electoral program to help uh, get a democratic majority there. And then in 2020, in the legislative session, we were able to move domestic worker inclusions um, in, and domestic workers had not been included as workers. Um, they had been kind of like excluded out, which is consistent with what happens at the federal level. So this year in Virginia, we were able to uh, include domestic workers in worker protections and minimum wage requirements. And that stuff is like, that is making an active difference in people's lives today, right now, and will continue to make an active difference in people's lives. And sometimes in campaigns, you don't get to see that. You know, like when I'm thinking about like what should Hillary Clinton write to her Reddit community today, and how do I describe Reddit to Hillary Clinton? Like that is very far away removed from like what her policy is for early childhood education, right? So in that way, I feel really, really lucky to do both of those things because I think that there's, I understand so much about politics and campaigns and elected officials and how they work. And then I also now start to understand so much about people and what makes a difference in their lives um, and how to create structural change. And those two things together are like very, very powerful. Not a lot of people do both things. Um, you know, and I, I think about this as like, I'm not doing this until I like go work at Facebook or whatever, you know, like this is my life. This is like my calling. It's the only thing I've ever wanted to do. And so I have so much time to learn 
and experiment and play around in different arenas. And I think doing all that stuff only makes me like more effective on either way. That is an incredible way to describe advocacy and it makes it so clear kind of your vision. Um, and that makes me wonder how, how do you know where you can make an impact when there is so much to do um, and, and there are so many different issues you could work on with your skill set. How do you find yourself picking what to do next in a sense? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, you are really good at interviews. Uh, so one, so ever since I started my career, the guiding like question that I use about how did, should I take that job or should I move to that city or like, do I want to work with that person? Is like, where can I make the most impact? And I think that's been really helpful. That's what's led me to work in presidential campaigns, right? It's like, it's super clear <laughs> how you make an impact. But as my, as my work has progressed, I, I, I started to also ask myself, like, um, who do you want to be in relationship with when you go back to organizations about one-on-one -on -one relationship? So I think those two questions are really helpful because I wanted to be, after 2016 in particular, when I just felt like I was so aware of the ways in which a Trump presidency would hurt immigrants, would hurt um, Mexican-Americans like me, um, would hurt people who were poor among the most marginalized. And so that's what led me to domestic workers because those exactly were the people that I was going to help. And I think that, and I knew that they had never had a political program there. They never really had somebody like me work there. So I knew that I would also make a really big impact in this organization that I felt like helped a constituency that was critical. Um, and this organization that I could see emerging as a really important organization and, and all of those things have like sort of proved true. You know, NDWA has been one of the leading groups in the anti-Trump resistance. Domestic workers have been at the forefront of that work. Um, we've been involved in Time's Up and now families belong together and, and by involved often at the very, very center. NDWA was when I did the Muslim ban protests. And so I could never have predicted all these things, like to be totally honest, never, not in one million years. You know, so we worked one of the biggest groups working on behalf of Stacey Abrams and then when um, the election was stolen from her, working on voter protection access. And so I, I, when I went to the domestic workers, that's not what I thought I was going to do at all, not even a little bit. And all of those things have been really among the most impactful things I could have been doing like in that moment. And so I think that the people who you work with are almost as important on the what the work is. And that's something I really, really started to understand at the domestic workers. And, and, and what even brought me there in the first place is that Ai-jen Poo and Alicia Garza are, are the leadership um, at the organization. And Ai-jen is, um, you know, like she's literally a genius. She literally has an award. It's the MacArthur Genius Grant, you know, and Alicia is the co-founder of, one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter. And it was just like, I want to learn from them. Like for sure they have something to teach and I have something to learn. Um, and so as you, I think, when you start your career and you're thinking about like, I want to, my dream is to one day do that thing. You don't always think about like the path that leads you like to that thing. And my path has been pretty twisty to be totally honest. And I think like, I recommend it. I highly recommend the twisty path because if I hadn't done Obama, then I wouldn't have done Hillary. And if I didn't do Hillary, then I wouldn't, be able to do the work that I do with domestic workers. And for whatever I do next, like the domestic workers will have been essential. And I would never have done the Muslim ban protest if I hadn't done the 
the domestic workers. Families belong together wouldn't have happened if it hadn't done the Muslim ban protest. You know, like it just all starts to like reinforce each other. Um, and I, I didn't have that clarity, frankly, until probably like 2018 or so. And then once it happened, it was like, oh, right. Of course it was all leading up to this. Of course it was. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, and I'm curious because in your work with domestic workers, there are other there are other issues like abortion or gun rights, which are much more in the popular mainstream um, of American discourse. But a lot of the issues you're pushing might not be known to those who are in positions of power. So I'm just curious, what strategies do you use to bring attention to issues that matter to underrepresented groups so that might not, you know, be on the radar of a lot of people in this country? Yeah, I'm really glad you asked that because honestly, that is the strategy. It's like, how do we make it as big as abortion and gun rights? Like, because I think sometimes in organizing, people just feel like, that happened, you know? And what I like to tell people is like, nothing just happens. Like, particularly in the beginning of like kind of the resistance era in early 2016 or in late 2016, early 2017, people used to be like spontaneous protests. It's like, no, no, sorry. That's not how protests work. That's not how social movements work. Like nothing is spontaneous. Like there's somebody behind there who's like stoking the fires. And like people say that about the Muslim protests all the time. They'll be like, you know, I helped organize the Muslim protests, Muslim banter protests. And people will be like, no, those just like happened. I'm like, do you think that on their own people were like, yeah, let's go to airports. Is that, is that, is that what you, for Muslim people, is that what you think happens? Like, does that happen a lot in America? You know, and it's like, no, a bunch of people like helped do that. Um, and so like, I think as we think about immigration, as we think about uh, labor and workers' rights, as we think about women's rights, um, what we're trying to do is say like, these are also the mainstream. Who they affect is mainstream, but also like, even if they don't affect you, you should be, I don't think persuaded is the right word. Maybe like motivated is the right word. I want you to be motivated about that. That's at the core of what we try to do with Families Belong Together and I think been really successful in, which is that like, no, most people in America will never be separated from their child by an, you know, an ICE official in immigration detention. But I want every person in America to feel like they need to make sure that that never happens again because of how emotional it is, because of how inhumane it is, because of how much it doesn't reflect the aspirational values that we have in America. And that has nothing to do, honestly, with immigration policy, right? I didn't talk anything about bills in Congress or what um, ICE stands for or how detention facilities work, because I actually don't think that that's the most important thing. I think the most important thing is for people who are not impacted to feel like this is their fight too. And that doesn't mean that, you know, we always center domestic workers. We always center the voices of the families that we work with. Um, you know, we always want to bring the people who are closest to the pain of the problem to the solutions, as the great Representative Ayanna Presley says. But we also want people who are not impacted to see themselves as protagonists. And that's because it takes a majority of 50 plus one to win anything in policy, in elections. And so even if a small portion of the world is experiencing this, I want a large portion of the world to understand that they're needed to alleviate the suffering of and stand with the people who are affected. 
So you've done a fantastic job of using digital media to bridge that gap a little bit. And can you tell us about how you realize the power of digital media and where you think it'll go in the future? Yeah, you know, actually I got my start um, like in officially organizing in the student movement to end genocide um, in college um, and actually did a ton with like Georgetown had a really big students um, CN chapter, um, which was the organization that I uh, helped build. Um, and at that time, uh, the genocide, when I was in college, way, way long ago in 2004-ish, um, that time, the way that like uh, the March for Our Lives, like, um, you know, and gun violence stuff is really big and everybody knows about now, that's kind of like how the genocide in Darfur was. And, um, and you know, George Clooney and like all his like famous movie friends did marches on Washington, D.C., etc. And um, as we built that organization was also at the time when like Facebook was coming up. There was like, you know, like all of us were getting like invites to Facebook when Facebook was still invite only and only on some college campuses and stuff, you know, so like we would like follow the college campuses who were getting on Facebook as the ones that we should organize, right? And because before that, like, what were you, like, it's so, it's almost, honestly, it's like almost hard to fathom, like, oh, how were you organizing? And the answer was like, we would table and we would like dorm storm. There's still things like I'm sure you do, but like, it was really different. Um, and I, I, we were trying to explain complicated foreign policy and also our innovations in complicated foreign policy. And so I was like, let's start a blog. And which was like very innovative at the time to be like, let's start a blog and like to help explain some of this. Cause like, again, it goes back. Like I learned this very early on. Like I didn't even understand some of the things we we're talking about. And I was like helping build the organization. So for sure the students who were talking also did not understand. So, um, so for me, my experience in organizing was what are the tools that we have available to us to help reach people as easy as possible and then I've just like built that up over time and, and I've also been lucky that at the same time as I was like sort of making this connection was also the time when like the internet and like the technology used you know was like exploding and I've been really lucky to kind of help shape that and, and be at the forefront of that both in the jobs that I've chosen and also in the work that I've done. So, you know, like obviously working on the President Obama's campaign, which is like the best, most amazing, you know, digital operation up to that point was like so instructive. And I got to learn from people who were like, you know, literally changing the world. Then when we went to Hillary, it was like, okay, I think that mobile is really important. So I'm going to like just put all my marbles in mobile. And that ended up being like a really smart thing to do. And, you know, our text message list sort of became one of the hallmarks of the campaign itself. Um, and that ended up, you know, other campaigns and organizations saw that and they have now, you know, totally invested and, and rebuilt and, um, and built new things um, that, you know, are about engaging folks over mobile. So to me, it just like, no, it just like intuitively made sense. It's like, where are the people? The people are on the internet. That's like way easier than like trying to figure out how to call people, you know, and they're not home all the time, but they are like always scrolling through things and, and it's very individual. It's like something that people could show to their friends. And 
so it just, it was like, it just honestly always just made sense to me. And then we, as we were going, it was like, oh wait, not everybody realizes this. Like, how do we make everyone realize this? Like, um, and you know, I don't do as much of that work anymore in my day to day, but I feel like learning, starting my career, learning how to do that was like so, so, so amazing because most people don't ascend to leadership positions from like digital jobs. And I think as more people do digital jobs and ascend into roles like I do now, which has basically nothing to do with digital, it'll be good because as a digital person, you spend so much time trying to convince people that like this makes sense and that like it's the most effective way to do that. And the more leadership we have that has already done that and knows that it's effective, I think the more effective our organizing will actually end up being. Yeah. One thing I'm curious about is I know Georgetown has a lot of students who are very passionate about a lot of different issues and about student activism. Um, And I was wondering, what's your advice to Georgetown students who might be interested in working in official organizing or as volunteers? What's your advice to them? Yeah, I mean, my first thing is to volunteer. Um, The way that you get jobs in this business is really through your relationship. So like, start by volunteering. And I, I, when I started, I lived out of my car, um, like right before I got my first job in politics. So like I did not have time to volunteer or money to like volunteer. And so it took me a while to like break in. And I think that's the other thing I would just say, if you want to make this your life, it does take a while to break in. Um, And then once you're there, I think it's really, really important to make good relationships. This is not that big of an industry. And I definitely remember earlier in my career, you know, like not getting along with a boss or, you know, like just a job not working out. And something my, he was my boyfriend at the time. Now he's my husband. My husband is the co-founder of an organization called Run for Something, which recruits millennials to run for down ballot office. And I was I was leaving a job and um, to be honest, I, I was leaving before I got fired. I was pretty sure I was going to get fired because it just wasn't the right fit. And my, my husband said, you know, you really got to make sure you leave through the front door. Leaving through the front door is like really important. And he couldn't be more right because that person that, you know, um, my boss at the time that I was having trouble with and who was having trouble with me, like is one of my, you know, longtime friends who was one of the first investors um, in a company that I started, I still work with her today. And at the time I thought like, I'll never like go work with that person again or like be involved with them and and they won't ever want to be involved with me. And like, that just couldn't be farther from the truth. And it's because the business is like pretty small and the people who st- get into it tend to like stay. So make relationships and then make sure that those are really, really good relationships. And on the flip side of that, the other side of that is that like many of my friends that I met when I was really early on are also now the people who like run the presidential campaigns, right? Like, and the ones who will hire me, like I've been hired by my best friend in the whole world. She was like my boss. It was really hard. It was super, super hard. And like all those folks that you're meeting, you're coming up with are people who are going to give you jobs, but also people who are going to like make this work doable because it can be really hard. Remember what I said, you lose and lose and lose all the way up until you win. And you lose a lot of elections too. There's two outcomes in an election. You lose or you win. One's really awesome. One really sucks. So you really need great relationships. And that goes for your professional life, but also for like your longevity in this business. And I think 
you know, longevity is really important. I've been doing this now for almost 15 years and I have so many like friends and mentors who've been doing it now for like 25 or 30 years and they have friends or mentors who've been doing it for 50 years. Right. So this is the rest of my life potentially. Um, and for me, I think it probably is. And so I want it to be a life really filled with rich relationships and with a good reputation and making a really good impact. And that really does start from the very beginning. That was a great story. And I just want to mention one little Georgetown story about that. The Run for Something has featured Will Haskell, who was a Georgetown grad who ran for state senate in Connecticut and successfully. Yeah. So there is a connection there. Um, Yay! That's awesome. Oh, they're going to be so excited. I, of course I know Will Haskell. Yeah, he's a success story. Yeah, so that's like a little Georgetown connection. Very good to see you. That's um, awesome. So we just have one more little section on fly on the wall. We like to call it the lightning round because we're going to ask you quick questions um, just to get you to think about some quick answers. So the first one is, what is one TV show that you would binge if you had the time? Um, I actually, okay, so thank you for not asking me about self-care. I fucking hate it when people ask me about self-care. It's like so gendered and also like I'm trying to fight coronavirus for domestic workers, not tons of time for self-care. Um, and I think people are like overly obsessed with that. But one of the things that I really try to do is make sure that I um, like am an interesting person outside of politics. And so I watch a lot of television because it's a great way to like see where the world is. So I like watch tons of TV. Um, and one of my favorite TV shows that my husband and I just both like really binged was Project Runway. Um, because we like, I think it's gonna be like competency porn. You know, it's like really good people being really good at their jobs. <laughs> So like in some ways, I don't know if that is like a super healthy relationship with TV. Like it's still basically about work, but highly recommend watching dramatic creative people be dramatic and creative. It's like very satisfying. Yeah. Um, next question we have is if you could have dinner with one historical figure, who would that be? Oh, that's really easy. Um, I would have dinner with Shirley Chisholm. Uh, I just want to ask her like so many questions and I want to just hear literally anything she has to say. And like, you know, in my, in my mind, she's like watching all of us being like, I could have told you that this would happen. Like, here's what you should have done instead. And like, I would take all of that. And the last one is if you could go back in time to any period in history, what would you pick? Um, I don't know. I think it's hard to say go back. Like I'm a, I'm a biracial woman of color. So it's like not going back is like pretty shitty, you know, but if I had to, I think I would, it's like a split. I would like to go back to Lowell, Massachusetts when the garment workers were doing their strikes to start the kind of like modern labor movement, which is all led by these like badass radical women of color, um, or women, not all women of color, uh, immigrant women. Or I would like to go back to um, Northern California uh, when the farm workers, uh, Sister Chavez and especially Dolores Huerta, um, were running their grape strike. Those are probably the two times. Well, Jess, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Um, yeah, thanks so much for all the preparation you clearly did for this. This was really fun and you were, you were great interviewers. 
Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Fly on the Wall. We're so glad that you came back. It's a tough time. Everything's virtual, but we're excited to bring you more episodes this semester. Yes. Before you go, check us out on social media, at Fly on the Wall Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you have any questions whatsoever, feel free to email us at flyinthewallpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.